Lord, that we are seated with you. Lord, that we are seen as righteous. Lord, that you are glorious, that you are perfect, that you're unchanging. Lord, all things that we have sang of today, Lord. Keep reminding our hearts, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, friends, before you have a seat, say hi to somebody. Shake a hand. Give them a hug this morning. Good morning. All right, come on inside. If you are outside on the deck or in the coffee shop, we'd love to have you come in, take a seat. Just a few more hugs to give. A little pat on the backs. All right. Thank you. That was really easy. Well, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. My name is Amy. We haven't met. I'm part of the team here at this church, which is why they let me on the stage. So if you are new, however, this morning or you're visiting from out of town, there is information in from our, uh, about our church in that pocket in front of you. We also have a gift for you. And so on your way out, there is an info booth. And if you want to know more about SBC or if you just want your free gift, then I can meet you out there after service and get that to you. Um, also, if you're unfamiliar with our church, we have a children's church next door um, for our younger kids up to age 12, I think. And then we have our family room over here. Say hi to the families. Oh, there's one. There you go. Just wanted to see the baby. All right. So um, a few things going on this week. Uh, we have our annual church picnic, and I've announced this the last few weeks, but this is my last opportunity to give you the information. So I want to get you all the information. You can pass that along to anyone that might not be here today. And so basically, next Sunday, we have our church picnic. We are not going to be in this building at all. We will be at the Donner Lake Pavilion at 1030 a.m., so during second service. And the Donner Lake Pavilion is a reserved picnic area right past West End Beach. And it, it's a place that we have already reserved, so there's no entrance fee. It is free for you to attend. Um, that's number one. You want to know that. Number two, uh, we are providing a meal for you as well as drinks, but we are asking if you can to bring a side dish or a dessert. All right, number two. Number three, if you don't want to sit on the grass, you need to bring your own little chair, and you can bring that on into the grassy area. We will provide tents and create as much shade as we can. Um, and also, if you have not heard, we are doing baptisms at the lake after the service. And so with that, if you have been thinking about getting baptized and you're still thinking about it, I think you should just make it happen. And so with that, you can sign up on our app or online and let us know that you want to get baptized so we can contact you before next Sunday. You do not need to, however, sign up for the actual picnic. Okay, so you can just come to the picnic. All right, that's all the information. You can make your choice next Sunday. 
Don't come here, though. And uh, what, what else? Oh, yes. So also next week, right after next Sunday, we have our ladies' night because we have this every uh, first Monday of the month. And so ladies' night this time is $10 because we are creating a floral arrangement with real flowers. So I found that information out. Someone asked, good question. Real flower floral arrangements to be made at ladies' night next Monday night, 6 p.m. Did everyone get that? Need some feedback. Okay. All right. Then, oh, yeah, that's right. Shortly after that, I've been informed that there will be a men's retreat. This men's retreat, oh, yeah, okay, will be August 11th through the 13th, a weekend getaway in, I'm going to try to describe this. It's going to sound really amazing to some of you because you're going to be in Jeeps and large vehicles, and you're going to go out into the wilderness and camp. And, you know, I don't know. What do you do when you ride those vehicles? <laughs> I don't do anything like that. But I think it might be really exciting to some of you. However, the men's retreat has a limited amount of men that can attend, and that is 15. One, five. I know. It's so sad. Something to do with the transportation and where you're going. So if you're interested, even if you're not positive you can attend, I would definitely just go onto the app, sign up, let us know, and those men will reach out to you and give you more information. All right. Oh, yes. I always forget this. If you are in junior high, you may leave the building and meet Pastor Caleb on the deck. There you are, all in the back, ready to go. All right. That's all I have for you. Let's uh, have Pastor Jesse come on up. Good morning. If you don't have a Bible, we'll just raise your hand. We'd like you to use one of ours. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, that's the series we're in. I really appreciated Amy's... Um, yeah, just keep your hands up. They're, they'll make their way to you. Amy's uh, communication on the men's ministry uh, in the first gathering, she made it almost sound like the men were going to take other men into the wilderness <laughs> and convince you of your salvation or maybe not return home. Uh, and that won't be the case, just so you're aware. Uh, but I do think it'll be a good time. Uh, one of the things that I want to do before we get into the Word as you make your way to Ephesians 4, I want to ask John Moniz to come on up. John, come on up. This is John. Uh, and I want to introduce him to you if you haven't met him. He has been interning as one of our deacons. Our deacons serve underneath our elder board. Uh, we get this from the book of Acts. And, and their main role serving the elders as the elders shepherd the flock that is among us that's you their main role is to serve the flock uh, specifically those in need widows orphans that kind of language in scripture those who uh, are struggling if that's you this is one of the guys you would reach out to uh, for help they help with all kinds of things transportation you name it uh, and of course we have a limited resource uh, to do that but uh, i should say which we haven't said in quite a while um, on our envelopes that you tithe from, if you want to tithe in there, you can mark deacon fund in there. And those funds go to our benevolence funds. All those funds go outside of the church or inside people within the church that need assistance. Uh, and so we have that resource. And like I said, he's been interning as a deacon 
And he stood up here uh, about a couple months ago, and we said, <clears throat> as part of accountability, if there's any reason that John shouldn't serve, let John know first. And if he can work it out, great. And if not, it'll go to the elders. And I just want to say, no one came to John. So he's in. He's in. <clears throat> so what I want to do this morning, and it is, this is a beautiful task, servant, servant heart. I want to ask any of our elders to come on up, any of our deacons to come up and lay hands on John as we officially commission him into the ministry here at Sierra Bible Church. Uh, and as we lay hands on him, I just want to encourage you, if, if, if you feel so led, just reach your hands out towards John. Nothing special or magical there, but just to, to show support and love, and uh, we're going to pray over him. Lord, we thank you for John and his service. He and his wife have been so faithful over the years to serve behind the scenes without complaint, without bickering or any rivalry, Lord. They've just been faithful. And now, Lord, because he's already been doing that work, we officially want to just recognize what you've already done in his life. And so we pray that you give him wisdom upon wisdom to, to lead, to know how to use your resources for the help of others to glorify your name. We also ask that you guard and protect his home, for Satan absolutely hates your servants and wants to take them down. But we trust that you will guard him, you'll guard his home, you fill his heart with the word, and keep him intimately close to you. And we trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Ciao, ma'am. Love you. Okay. <clears throat> In chapter 4 of Ephesians... We saw last week that God has been very gracious to his church, to his people, that is you hopefully this morning, on many different levels. We're literally told in the first few verses of chapter 4, which we studied last week, that God has given each one of us individually a gift. And he's given that gift to us in measure. Meaning that, that literally each one of our gifts that we may have, we may even have the same gift, that, that it's unique. It's like a fingerprint or it's like a snowflake and it's beautiful for God to see his people using that gift. But then he also said, he also said in this particular passage, if you notice, in chapter one, just there in the beginning, that one of the gifts or, or the multitude of gifts that he's given to the church as a whole are the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teachers. These are gifts to you, gifts for this particular church, gifts in any other church to help the church grow. The apostles are a foundational gift, and so are the prophets. Really, those first two show us that one of the great gifts that God has given us is the declaration of Scripture, the Word, for that is what the apostles and the prophets brought to us. Evangelists go outside of the building and have a unique gift to reach people for Jesus. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist, it says in Timothy, but there are those of us amongst us that, that just have a unique gift of communicating the gospel. Then there are shepherds, those like myself that care for and feed the flock. And then there are teachers, those who help our minds grow. And the reason that God has given us these gifts, these offices, these individuals, this kind of leadership is for our maturation and growth. That's what we will see this morning. The title of the message literally is doing the work of the ministry for maturity. Because it isn't the pastor who's supposed to do the work. I know that may seem shocking to some. 
It's the pastor's job to do the, do the preaching, the teaching, the shepherding, the guiding, the counseling, so that the body of Christ, which is the number one term Paul's use, the body of Christ would use their gifts to build up the body. That's where we'll be this morning. And so if you would, I'd invite you to stand as we do each week to honor God's word if you were able as we read together, starting in verse I want to back up a little bit for context. Verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended? This is communication of Christ's incarnation, God becoming man. And he came down to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. This is after his resurrection that he might fill all things. And he gave as a gift, as God gives, he's a gift giver, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And to we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by, the, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. Lord, this is your word. It's trustworthy and it's true. And the church said, amen. Please take your seat. So I grew up in the 90s, right? And the 90s were a nice time to grow up. (laughs) A fun time, at least, in my opinion. And the reason I mention that is because in the 90s, in the 90s, and even, even today, if you find some research back in the 90s as well as even today, if you ask people what is the number one thing they would change about themselves, most individuals, by and large, would say that they would change something about their body. Some of us might want to be taller. Some of us might want to be thinner. And when I grew up in the 90s, this was just driven home, right? The 90s was the era of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I grew up, I don't don't know if you remember this or not, for those of you who grew up in the same kind of uh, timeline, but when I got gifts as a kid and my mom brought home my little toy figurines, uh, whether it was G.I. Joe or the Ninja Turtles, to use the Ninja Turtles as the the prime example, these figurines were yoked. Are you familiar, familiar with that term? I mean, muscle on muscle on muscle. You've never seen pizza do that to a turtle ever, right? Because that's their their meal of choice. Now, you look today, uh, and if you look at the new Ninja Turtle movie today, they're they're a different kind of turtle, right? My turtles use steroids. The turtles today, I don't know what they're doing, but it's just different. And, and, And there was an obsession, and even now there's still an obsession, whether it's a filter on Instagram or what have you, for the body to look a certain way. And there's a hope that our bodies would be healthy. All of us kind of want that to some degree. 
And this is God's bodybuilding program in this text. That's what this text is about. It's about the body of Christ, you and I as individual members, becoming mature, becoming man, men, or, or the manhood, he says. He gives us a contrast that we would grow up into the fullness of Christ, who is the head of the church, and he is the head of the church. We would, we would as individuals, grow in Christ-likeness. Notice the term equip. It literally says that the job, the job of the elder, the job of the pastor, the job of the shepherd, the job of the evangelist and the apostle and the prophet is to equip you in your unique gifting that that unique gifting would be used. And that unique unique word equip in the original language literally means that which is restored to its original condition or is made complete. See, the job of the pastor is to take that which was incomplete and help it become complete to move you from childhood into manhood. Literally, this exact word is used often as a medical term for the resetting of broken bones. That which is broken being put back in line, in place. I'm gonna use two fancy words for you that, that, that are just as important. One of those words is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy literally means in line. That's why we get the word orthodontist. Orthodoxy is to have, have doxology, praise unto God, theology un, under God that is correct. It's in line. It's in line with scripture. It's in line with the prophets. It's in line with the apostles. But another term that isn't always shared is orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is that which in, how we live from our orthodoxy. That if you don't live out what you believe, then really it doesn't really matter. And so the commandment here that is used in this piece of scripture is that the apostle, the prophet, and the teacher would equip you, help set in line that which is broken in you, that you would serve God, and literally it says in verse 12 that you would do the work of the ministry. What do you think of when you think of work? Do you think of passivity? Do you think of laziness? Or is this something that's active? See, the body is called to minister to the body. Let me give you a few examples of this as it is laid out in Scripture. We just had a deacon before us. The job of a deacon as a leader is to serve the church. But Scripture is really clear that members are to serve one another. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom. You have freedom, it says, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it's not just the deacon's job to take care of benevolence needs or widow's needs. It's the church's job. It's your job. It's not just the pastor's job, we're told in Scripture, to instruct one another. For Romans 15, 14 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You see, a good, healthy church in its growth process is to not only be, be serving one another, but also to be at a place where we are literally teaching each other. Did you know it's not just the job of the worship leader to lead you in worship? Did you know it's not just the worship leader's job to get you to sing? We're literally told in multiple places in scripture that we are to sing to one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. That's where singing comes from, by the way. The reason we sing is because the word of Christ is dwelling richly amongst our souls. And since it's dwelling richly in our souls, we should then teach and admonish one another. There it is to my last point. 
In all wisdom, we should be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And then Ephesians 5.19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. One of the best things, and this is why, we've had, you've seen it last week, I think we had 12 people on stage for worship. That's awesome. Today we had uno. And what's really beautiful when we do that, if you're paying attention, the emphasis is on the congregation hearing the congregation sing. And when you can hear the congregation sing, and sometimes when the congregation is singing, I literally will stop singing so that you can minister to my soul through your collective praise to our God. This is important for us to do. And did you know that you, there's no such thing as just, just leaning into professional counselors, professional mental health? First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you're doing. All of these spiritual gifts, we are called to use them to practice them amongst one another. This is why Bible studies groups are important or the men's breakfast is important or the women's ministries are important. It is our job as leaders to provide opportunities for you to minister to one another. And if you don't partake in those things, you're definitely missing out. In fact, Luke 12 tells us that serving and having a heart of service actually prepares us for the return of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 35. Stay dressed, he says. Stay dressed and ready for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once and when he comes and knocks. Now here's the verse to to hold on to. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Serving makes us alert. It makes us aware of the needs of the congregation. It helps us know the congregation, to love the congregation. And then he moves on and he says, truly I say to you, he who will dress himself for for service and he'll have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. I don't know if you captured that last part, but essentially what Jesus is saying is serve. Use your gifts, do the work of the ministry. Be equipped by your leaders to do the work of the ministry. And if you do the work of the ministry, you are readying yourself for the return of the Lord and Christ will find you serving him and him alone, not your own agenda, not your own heart, but Christ's glory alone. And when he finds you in that particular place, he will grab you, he will take you, he will set you at his table and he will allow you to recline and rest. And then it says, Jesus himself will serve you. He'll wash your feet. He'll feed you a good meal. Ephesians goes on to tell us a little bit more of what this mature manhood actually looks like. There are multiple places in this particular book. Now remember, this is important. Chapters one through three are positional chapters. Chapters one through three are positional chapters. They are chapters in Ephesians that just glorify, edify, and instruct the reality of what the gospel is that the gospel is that you were saved. In fact, there's language in chapter one that something happened even before you were born so that you cannot obtain any credit for your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn your salvation in any way whatsoever. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of tithing. There's no amount of serving that will actually bring you to salvation. It is the grace of God alone, the calling of God alone that brings you into his presence. And that is the peace that surpasses all understanding. 
Now in chapters four on, we move from positional truth and we flow into practical truth. Because the gospel is really alive, because the Holy Spirit has renewed you, we are called to do these things. You know the gospel is enriched in you. Now Now there's a call to move away, away from childhood kind of thinking and now move into mature manhood. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. I'm just going to give you nine real quick, just from Ephesians alone. Nine passages on what it means to be mature. Number one, Ephesians 4, 25. Put away falsehood and speak truth. Don't slander. Don't gossip. Don't say things that you don't know are true. It's actually best sometimes to not say anything. Chapter 4, verse 28, as well as 6 through 5 through 8, work hard at your job. I'm summarizing these, but you can read them. Work hard at your, heart, your job. Ephesians 4, 28 as well, put to death stinginess and share what you have with others. Number four, Ephesians 4, 29 and chapter 5, 4, refrain from corrupt talk, but rather build each, up other, build each other up. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind, that should not be that difficult in this day and age, but it is, isn't it? Be kind and forgive one another. Ephesians 5, 6, avoid false doctrine. Ephesians 5, 22, direct instruction for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and for wives to see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 6, 4, raise your children in such a way that honors the Lord. And Ephesians 6, 9, if you're an employer, if you're a master, if you have a, a, a job site and you happen to be the foreman or whatever it may be, the instruction is to treat your employees well and to not threaten them. I like how John Piper says about these passages. He, he has a great way of articulating this. He says, he says it like this when it means to move into mature manhood. What does real ministry actually look like to Paul? It looks like two young moms putting aside rivalry and comparison to love and serve one another. It looks like a young man refusing to tell a dirty joke for a cheap laugh and instead chooses words that build the other up. It looks like a cheerfully, it looks like someone cheerfully punching numbers into a spreadsheet from nine to five as an act of devotion to the Lord. It looks like a man laboring to help his wife spiritually thrive, even as he overlooks her unfair criticism. It looks like a wife choosing to honor her husband, even when given the opportunity to speak disrespectfully about him. It looks like inviting members to a meal after church, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, or sending an email to a discouraged brother. None of these actions, of course, are glamorous, but for Paul, this is real ministry. Is it real ministry to you? It should be. And pastors are to teach and to preach and to fuel this kind of work amongst the members of Christ. And it can be easy to squander the gifting you have. And you can do that several different ways, by the way. You can do that by assuming your service and work is about you. It's about your own ministry and your own thinking and your own position which also ties into pride. And our gifts will never reach the heights of potential if we refuse to use them without being on our knees first. Or sometimes what keeps us from using our gifts is just the pressure of worldliness. We waste or misuse our gifts because we prize, we prize that what the world prizes rather than seeking the kingdom first. When you serve Christ, you do not get glory, you do not get fame, you do not get attention. In fact, scripture teaches the other way around. You will receive persecution, but it's worth it. We can also squander our gifts by just simply being lazy. How many of us spend the best parts of ourselves at work, 
the best part of ourselves at play, the best part of ourselves at rest, the best part of ourselves at comfort, the best part of ourselves in sports rather than the kingdom of heaven. Think of your energy spent because Jesus literally says in Luke 12 as well, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Look at where your treasure is. Step up, stand up, begin to move into mature manhood, begin to move into growing away from a child, child's thinking into the way of an adult's thinking. This is literally what scripture teaches in other places when it says, hey, when I was a, a child, I thought like a child, and then I became a man and I put away childish things. I mean, I like a good video game every now and then, but our life is never to be revolved around that controller. Maturity also, this is my next point. Verse 14, there's a warning. A mature Christian has doctrinal stability. Do you notice it in the text? He says it right here. My eyes are getting worse every weekend. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, that, by the way, when he says the mature fullness of Christ, he's saying that is your goal of maturation. It's not your pastor. It's not your elders. It's not your deacons. It's Jesus. He's the standard. Do you know who falls short of the standard of Christ? all y'all, including me. So that, he says, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, human coming by craftiness and deceitful schemes. As you are equipped, as you do the work of the ministry, and as you grow in your knowledge of the prophets and the apostles, that's why those are gifts and those are important, you move away from childhood thinking and into the thinking of manhood. Think of children for a moment. They are gullible. <laughs> they are easily deceived. You know, one of the first things I had to learn as a father is if you joke and you are sarcastic, your child will take it as a literal thing. They don't know sarcasm. Right? My dad used to tell me, Jesse, when he was frustrated, go into the middle of the street and play with rusty razor blades. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I've worked through my trauma. <laughs> and, 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 I, and now I look back and I'm like, that's hilarious. But I'm sure as a kid I was like, but I'm going to die. <laughs> he, says, he says, literally, you, you've got to put these things away. You can't be gullible because children are marked by ignorance and instability. What literally this passage is saying is that unstable Christians, Christians who do not know doctrine and theology, Christians who are immature in their orthopraxy, their practice of their theology, they are unstable and they're like little boats in a stormy sea, and they're entirely at the mercy of the waves, entirely at the mercy of their own emotions, entirely at the mercy of their own thinking. Paul is saying people in the church need to grow and not become children, not be like a child. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as well as 1 Corinthians 14, 20, which is, by the way, Corinthians is a book written to children in the faith. Corinthians is a book that's written to Christians who are, should be mature and they're not. And Paul literally says as he writes that book, he says, I've got to speak to you like infants and you shouldn't be like children in your thinking. Because if you're children in your thinking, you'll be swept away. You'll do something stupid. You'll fall into false doctrine. 
Someone will tell you all roads lead to God. That's not true. Someone will tell you the Bible's just a book. That's not true. Someone will tell you that if you go to heaven and you're, because you're a good person, that's not true. And Paul uses the words here that these kind of teachers, they come in, they creep in. They're amongst, among us. And one of the markers is they creep in. They don't want accountability. They don't want to be, to be submissive to leadership. They have no humility. They creep right in. And if you're not stable and growing and being teachable, then you're gonna fall into this error. My pastor in San Diego used to say, everyone needs to be a fat Christian. Faithful, available, and teachable. And sometimes otherwise. I was at a wedding on Friday. I had an opportunity at Schaefer's Mill and, and one of the couples in the, in the wedding, they, they had two twins and the twins were, I don't know, they're about two years old. And, and the baby girl, they're a baby girl and a baby boy. The baby girl's walking. And the baby boy's not. Because we all know women mature faster than men. It's the truth. It's scriptural. Women were the first ones at the cross. It was women who, who anointed his feet with oil. Ladies, you're great. That, that seriously, awesome. And men have a lot to learn from the faithfulness, availability, and the teachableness from the women in our congregation. Oftentimes it's the women in the congregation who are more stable and more theologically founded than even some of the men. And that is not to, that, that, that's not to shame you. That, that's to challenge you to move away from childhood. And as this little girl was walking, you, you, right? Super unstable. And every now and then she just would tip over and roll on her back, wouldn't cry. Just like, you know, it was a normal habitual practice of hers. Shoot, whoop, hurt back to it. And sometimes when I used to play with my little kids and wrestle with them, my little boys, you'd be a little bit rougher with boys. It was always kind of fun. I always did it on the grass, didn't do it in the furniture around sharp corners, but just give them a little nudge, you know? Which a boom. Because <laughs> you, you got to teach your boys. Dad's stronger than you forever. <clears throat> Scripture clearly teaches that when you come to salvation, you come in salvation as an infant. You come as a child. And what's interesting, even there, there's a, there's a dichotomy in Scripture that we need to maintain childish thinking with the Lord, but not in Scripture and not in relationship with Him. Not, not with heresy. We, we need to be like lions. We need to understand that there are wolves amongst us. They're on television. They're on Twitter. They're everywhere. Some of them have millions of views. It breaks my heart when you can clearly contrast a John MacArthur having an interview with Larry King, whether you agree with MacArthur on everything or not. When Larry King clearly asked John MacArthur, what is the gospel? He could articulate the gospel. And then when he was, he was asked clearly, do you believe Jesus is the only way to salvation? MacArthur clearly answered, indeed, Christ is the only way unto salvation. You contrast that with someone like Joel Olstein. hate to burst some of your bubbles, but you can pull up the YouTube video and see exactly how he articulates the gospel, which he does not, and how he defends if Christ is exclusive or not, and he can't do it. Because he's doing ministry for all the wrong reasons. First Peter tells us, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and all envy, and all slander. Let me read it again, because these things can occur in the church. Put away malice, put away deceit, 
put away hypocrisy, put away envy, put away slander. And then he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. There's a, you were a child, now it's time to be a man. Hebrews chapter five, verse 11 says it like this. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. I feel like that as a leader sometimes. So much to say, so hard to say it, so little time to say it. Since you've become dull of hearing, for though by this time you, yeah, you, ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Remember, do the work of the ministry towards maturation. Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I mean, are you seeing it this morning? You've been gifted by God. You have unique individual gift that God has given you. And there's not one gift that's better than the other. I mean, think of what body part would you actually do without? If someone came to you and said of your body, you get one piece of body part that we have to take away, which one are you removing? I know mine, this one. It's already gone. Don't have to worry about it. Every body part is important. You won't want to remove one piece of any body part. And so we need to practice these things with one another, to minister to one another. That's what makes a church a mature church. Not leaning into the pastor, but every individual congregant in the body of Christ whose head is Christ sitting under the word. We all submit to this. We submit to the word. And then Paul moves on and he actually gives us even more instruction of maturation. Point number three, maturity involves truth and love. Do you see it? Look, we'll see it right here together. Where is it? Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Do you see it? Paul is saying truth matters. Your doctrine matters. Hold truth in high esteem. But if you don't have love in your doctrine and in your truth, then it's nothing. Paul tells Timothy that the church is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. We're to constantly be lifting up the truth. But as John Stott says in this particular language, this truth in love, a way to say it is that this is truthing in love. Maturity involves a truth-telling truth-maintaining, and a truth-doing in love. Let me show you how important this is. I think it's pretty important. This means being a family of God because you've got to love one another. But go ahead and go to, if you'll do me a favor, go to verse 2. Just look at verse 2 where Paul is kind of in his introduction in this particular segment. And in verse 2, if my eyes will find it, verse 2, with all humility all gentleness, with all patience, bearing with one another in... Oh, come on. Remember, I told you, you got to minister to each other. This is an opportunity to do that, right? Bearing with one another in... Love. Okay, there it is. It's in his introduction. It's right there in his introduction. We just read it. Now go, go down to verse 16. Do you see it in verse 16? Right at the end there, it says, the whole body grows up in love. Do, do you see it? 
Do you see it? You might need to get a little closer or you might want to open your Bible so you can see it in love. So what Paul is essentially saying here, he's saying yes to doctrine, yes to theology, theology, yes to your positional truth, yes to the gospel, but understand that all of these things have to be articulated in love. And, and, and just so you're really aware, if I can be open with you, I am, I am awakening to this in my life right now in a way that I've never experienced. Just in the last couple months, I mean, one of the things that, that is just rang, rang true in my mind is the reality that God has called me to love you. And as I love you, God's gonna love me. And the results don't matter. You wanna know why? Because I don't control results. I can't change your heart. I can't save you. I can't make you more Christ-like. I can't make you more sacrificial. Jesse Richardson has zero power outside of the gospel and the word of God. I just love you and I let the Holy Spirit do everything else. Just love people a little more. It, 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 Paul says it this way in Corinthians, right? If, if, if you don't have love, you're a clanging symbol. I had one of my pastors tell me he counsels both Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians, not so much, and you'll figure out why here in a moment. He says, every time I get someone who comes into my office for counseling, and they ask for my help, and they ask for my advice, and they tell me they don't believe in Jesus, I have to look at them and, and very sadly say, then I can't help you. Because I have no power outside of the Lord, and I have no power outside of his scripture. All of it comes and flows from the beauty of God. And when you are studying scripture, you don't study scripture just so your brain will grow, just so you can be more knowledgeable and spit out more facts or more verses. You grow in scripture so you can love more. This is how he says it in Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven. Listen to the kind of language he uses. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children having a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. What does the church look like when everybody loves like that and still holds truth above as just as important as love? What does, the, what does it look like Tim Keller says, truth without love is arrogant and overbearing and self-righteous, and love without truth is cowardly self-indulgence. The Christian church is to live with intention between the two. The church should become a truly caring community marked by humility, marked by meekness and long-suffering, forbearance and love. And Paul's primary, primary concern here is not for structures, but he begins this segment and ends this segment in love. And we need to grow in that every single one of us, including myself. Like how one of my pastor friends says it, he says, may our local church bodies be marked by spiritual unity, spiritual diversity, and an ever-increasing maturity. And Paul's teaching serves as a principle, as I'm sorry, as a spiritual checkup in these vital areas. This message is an opportunity for you to go down the checklist and ask, am I contributing to God's body-building plan for the congregation? Because my last point as we get ready for worship is in verse 16, that maturity involves contribution. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Notice there's a working of each part, a blending of the two. The right hand doesn't do what the left hand does. The right foot doesn't do what the left foot does. The ear doesn't do what the eye does. Each part needs to carry its own responsibility for its spiritual health under the guidance of the word, making the body grow as it is built up in love. This last part is teaching us that as Christ is our head, we are to be sinewed and connected and blended together in such a way where the world outside can see our love for one another and they declare the goodness of God because we are on the same page. We are a local body. Christ is our head. And each of us is to contribute our gifts. Each of us is to have doctrinal stability, to move away from childhood. And thank God he's given us the apostles and the prophets as the primary teachers. And then what flows from that is the imperfect teachers of evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And as we grow in equipping, what does that mean? It means that you become more solid in truth and your heart grows bigger in love for one another. And then you serve one another and you contribute with one another. And the body grows strong and stable in the midst of all the storms of this world. Our boats are not tossed to and fro with our own emotions and the lies of the enemy, but only what God has called us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our congregation. We thank you for individuals like John Moniz who, who Lord, has shown what it looks like to grow. Uh, even for myself, sharing this, this new but yet simple everlasting message that seems so easy that, that my job is just to love. And my role here as a pastor is not to be perfect, it's to be growing. And that my growth would be evident to all. I pray that's the case, Lord. I I need your help in that. I need brothers and sisters in my life life help for that. I pray that each of us would look over this list and not be condemned. This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message that flows from liberation. Each one here, if they've called upon you in faith, can be liberated from a life that is selfishly lived for themselves and to know the freedom of what it means to not have to carry results but just to love people as you have loved us. And we want to trust you for that work now. I can't manipulate it. Brad can't make it happen with a a song that makes us feel good. It's your spirit that has all the power. We trust you for that power now. In Jesus' name, the church said. Family, let's stand together. We close in our service as an opportunity for you to respond. This next song specifically talks about that the Lord has already won. We're joining with him, so I invite you to sing.